Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. To learn more about our church, check out calvary316.tv. I do hope you stay with me over the next hour as we do something completely different than what we normally do. Today, our show is going to focus on the Calvary Chapel movement, and more specifically, the current state of affairs. And in order to tackle this particular topic, I want to waste zero time introducing today's guest, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Philadelphia and Calvary Chapel Association Council Member, Pastor Joe Foch. Joe, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. And uh, I'm so excited to be discussing this topic because I think it's really near and dear to much of our listening audience. So we're so glad that you're with us. Well, it's a privilege to be here. I've been looking forward to it all week, Zach. So I, I love you and I appreciate the, the invitation to be involved. So, and these things are near and dear to my own heart also. Well, I want to I want to start just diving right in with a little bit of, of, of background context for yourself. Uh, how long have you been involved in the Calvary Chapel movement? And then more specifically, uh, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Uh, been involved in the Calvary movement for about 44 years, 45 years. And I've been the pastor back here in Calvary, Philly. About oh, I've been a Calvary pastor for about 38 years. Yep, here in, in in Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. What was your What was your very first experience with Calvary Chapel? Um, I born, raised, and saved in Philly, 1972. I got saved, and I moved to the West Coast in '76. I uh, was living in a communal house in San Diego. That was it was all kosher, Christian communal house, and uh, I didn't know anything about Calvary Chapel, and they took us to see a movie on a Saturday night at the North Park Theater, which I didn't realize was a church, and it was Ben-Hur. And uh, one of the scenes where Jesus turns around and looks at a Roman soldier, the whole place went crazy and broke into applause. I said, where, where in the world are we at? And they said, well, this is a church. I said, are you kidding me? This is a church. So my first encounter with Calvary was Mike McIntosh in the North Park Theater there in uh, in San Diego, and I was amazed at the amount of uh, people that were there and the environment and the openness. I, I was blown away. What, what do you remember about the very first time you met Pastor Chuck? Uh, I remember being nervous. Uh, I had sat in his studies and knew who he was and maybe had said hi here and there, but then he came up to Calvary Whittier. John McClure was the pastor there then, and I was in a ministry training program, and he came and taught at a midweek uh, session, and then afterwards came up and started to talk to Kathy and I, and that was my first real encounter. And he was so interested that I was from Philly and that I was praying about moving back, and you know, he had all kinds of questions. Well, Joe, what about this? What about that? And how do you feel about this? And what do you think? And he was so, you know, disarming and genuine. I, I, I was, I was really taken back. It was, it was like being with a grandpa. What was in the years that followed? Um, what was your relationship like uh, with Pastor Chuck? Um, initially, he said, "Make sure and come down and see us before you move back to Philly." You know, and, and I thought, "Well, is he going to give us money? Is he going to, you know?" So <laughs> we went down to see him on a Sunday night, and uh, after the study, we came up. Kathy and I said, "Chuck, you told us to come see you before." He said, "Oh yeah, you're going back to Philly." He said, "Yeah." He said, "Let's pray," and he put his hands on both of us, and it, the prayer was something like, "Lord, bless these guys as they go. Just be with them, encourage them." Amen. And he said, all right, let me know what happens. You know, that was so as the years went by and he saw the church growing, uh, other churches being born, I think he had a, an amazing ability. If he saw God's hand on something, then he would get involved with it. So my relationship with him grew over the years. What kind of impact did Pastor Chuck make on your life? Uh, not just from a ministry context, but just personally. I, I think personally for me, the the major impact probably that Chuck made on my life is, and he never said it, it was just by observation and being around him, I realized I don't have to be anybody but who I am to, to serve the Lord, that that was mm -hmm. completely acceptable. Somehow 
you know, he put at ease in me every sense of ambition or having to measure up to something. And somehow I realized just by osmosis, just being around Chuck, that I can serve the Lord and, and that I don't have to be anybody but who I am to do that. That's powerful. Now, you grew very close to Pastor Chuck, yes. though you were on two different coasts. Um, that relationship um, was deep and lasting, wasn't it? it? It really was. As the years went on, we, we became closer and closer, you know, and um, got to spend more and more time with him, though we were far apart, and uh, it was very important to me. And, and I genuinely believe he cared about Calvary Chapel Philadelphia. He, he felt it was a, a great model of what was in his own heart in regards to philosophy and ministry and church. So we, we, we grew very close, yeah. What, what was the impact of his passing? You know, it's been several years now that Pastor Chuck went to be with the Lord, and um, I know you were there for the memorial service, and you were, you were involved in a lot of that. Um, I, I'm sure that um, that made quite an impact. Well, it it's something that you kind of always know is going to happen, but when it does happen, it's much different than just thinking it's going to happen, you know? So then you kind of look around and you think, well, dad's gone kind of, you know, where now? How do we do this now? How do we move forward now? What what remains? What do I hold on to? And, and you look at church history and you realize not many movements have outlasted their founder, you know. Well, the church certainly has. The church has been here for 2,000 years, but you look and think, all right, what is Calvary Chapel now to me, and how do I move forward? And, uh, you know, John Corson said we've been Chuck's boys for a long time. It's time for us to be God's men, you know. Hmm. Wow. So, yeah. Well, I, that's a great segue. Um what is for for those that might not know some of the inner workings and some of the um, the new classifications and titles, et cetera? Um, what is the Calvary Chapel Association? We you know we call it the CCA, and, and more specifically, the CCA Council that we hear a lot about. Well, I think one of the things that set Calvary and Chuck aside from denominations. Uh, is that Chuck genuinely had a number of Timothys in his life, and he has left uh, as as part of his legacy strong leaders and strong congregations uh, in different places all around the world, but in different places across the country. So I think as Chuck was facing his mortality and uh, thinking through things, you know, what he did was he he told us at Sandy Cove, at the East Coast Conference, somebody asked Chuck, you know, who are you going to hand this to? What's going to happen if the Lord takes you? And he said, I've, I've divided in my mind between Calvary Chapel, the movement, and Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, the local church. He said, those are two things. I pastor the church, and somebody will take that. But the movement, he said, I, I want to hand that to some of the first-generation guys that have been with me a long time. But, and, you know, we just looked at each other surprised. We never heard him say that before. So from that point on, there were several times we were alone with him and talked about it. And then finally, uh, he asked uh, Don McClure and Greg Laurie and myself to come. We met with him for several hours about four hours, and we wrote out a list of names. Chuck was the one who was who was deciding, you know, and uh, there were about 12 names. And uh, he just said, these are guys that have been with me from the beginning. So it isn't, uh, it's not a committee. It's not, you know, it's a fraternity. You know, it's, I've known these guys for 38, 40 years. These are guys you live and, and die for, you know. So, that's what Calvary is to me now. Uh, there's there's no, a number of men I know and I love. I know their wives. I know their kids. I know some of their grandkids. So there's a fraternity. In fact, Chuck told us once, he said, look, he said, when I die, if you guys turn into a board or a committee, it, 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 will, it, it would be grieving to me. He said, as long as you love one another and remain a fraternity, I'll feel like I've passed the baton, you know. So that's what CCA is at this point. It's a group of guys that have been with him from the beginning. Chuck picked the particular men that are involved, and uh, 
and, and we, we meet together, we pray together, say, Lord, where are we going with this? What can we do? How do we encourage the churches? How do we maintain a historic Christian uh, philosophy of ministry, you know? So the CCA council, per se, that those were men that handpicked by Pastor Chuck. So he was very involved in the formation of this. But from a from a functionality standpoint, what is the Calvary Chapel Association and what is it responsible for? Well, I think we're learning that, you know, you kind of get thrown into this position where there's, you know, over a thousand churches around the world. And I think, you know, it, it, it behooved us. We finally got together and started to pray and say, Lord, we, we don't know how to do it. This is your bride. You paid for her in your blood. We don't want to you know, there's no sense of entitlement here. What do we do? How do we move forward? Because when Chuck was there, he was usually the final voice on decisions that were made in any meeting. And then he hands it to a bunch of us who are kind of used to being the senior pastors in our own churches. And then we all have to learn how to amalgamate our, our ideas and our, our hearts, our minds. So when when he first handed it to us, it was simply a matter of what churches get affiliated and become part of the Calvary family, what churches we would say no to, and and occasionally here and there we have to ask somebody to change their name. Uh, that was the initial responsibility. But since Calvary Global Network went in a different direction, now we're realizing, well, we have other responsibilities. We have to have conferences now. We have to have communication now. So we're in a learning curve, I think, uh, in regards to all of those things. For for the record, the Calvary Chapel Association and the CCA Council, you guys were formed and began meeting before Pastor Chuck's passing. That's is that correct. correct? Yes, that's correct. Yep. I, I want to ask, um, and this is just one of those curiosity questions, but um, at various points over the last, uh, good grief, 15 to 20 years, there had always been rumors that Pastor Chuck intended to name a successor. You know, from time to time you heard names, you know, like Greg Laurie or John Corson, Skip Heitzig, uh, Adam McClure, even Brian Broderson. Do you think Pastor Chuck ever intended at at any point to name a successor or that the, the CCA model was something that had always been on his heart? You know, I don't know that. My, you know, I don't think Chuck let go of things easily. You know, and and when you're involved in a work that starts with 20, 25 people and you see it touch the whole world, I think it's hard to <laughs> to hand that off. Um, I heard rumors at times, uh, names like Skip or Greg or Don, relative to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa as a as an individual church. I never heard Chuck, though he may have. I never heard him talk about an individual that he wanted to hand the movement to. Interesting. Well, that, I mean, that's that perfectly leads to my next question. Why, why do you think, and it's difficult to ask hypotheticals for you to get into the mind of someone else, but from your perspective, why do you believe Pastor Chuck ultimately decided to leave the Calvary Chapel movement to a committee and not his replacement at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, that he, that he and intentionally somewhat separated the two things. Why, why do you think he, he made that decision? Um, I think, first of all, he didn't leave it to a committee. That would be, you know, okay. the, the, be, the beginning of uh, the hardening of the categories. Um, I think he left it to a group of men. Look, Jesus didn't leave the church to one individual, you know, he handed it to the, the apostles. There were a group of men that had been with him in his ministry, and uh, without a lot of instruction, you know, he hands them the thing, just says, wait here till you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I think Chuck trusted that the Lord spoke to his heart that he would hand the oversight of the movement off to a group of guys he knew that were faithful to the Scripture, to the, the need for the Holy Spirit. Um, I think he didn't hand it to a replacement because no one has replaced Chuck. There is no replacement. Who's going to replace Billy Graham? Right, <laughs> there, right, absolutely. A, yeah, that's why he didn't yeah. hand it to his replacement. And uh, thirdly, um, uh, 
his replacement at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, there's nobody there replacing Chuck. You know, that's a that's it would be a terrible burden to be under to have to replace Chuck. So uh, Costa Mesa now is a Calvary Chapel like all of the other Calvary Chapels. He Chuck couldn't pass on his own anointing and his own gifting. That wasn't his to give to someone else. So Costa Mesa, look, it's important. We've all kind of learned we don't believe in the Vatican and we don't believe in a succession of popes. That's the, the Catholic Church does that. Um, so Costa Mesa was the flagship of the Calvary movement when Chuck was there. Uh, when Chuck left, his anointing left, his calling left, his overability, his ability to oversee left, his anointing didn't stay on the parking lot or the pews or the building, it left with him. So Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa is now a local Calvary under a senior pastor. Uh, there in regards to that congregation, but there wasn't, I think Chuck realized you can't, I'm, I can't reproduce my, what God's done in my life. That's God's sovereignty. I can't, there's, there's not some Chuck Smith for me to hand this to, you know. Because of a lot of the things that have happened over the last two years, I want to ask a, a series of really kind of pointed questions. Um, and, and I don't mean this to be um, gossip in any way. I don't. I don't want to stir the pot. But just for some clarity, uh, with a lot of things that I know my audience has 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 grappled with. I know that I have personally. But um, and I and the next question is kind of twofold. But when Brian Broderson um, became the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa uh, after Pastor Chuck passed, um, was he also a CCA council member? And and had he been invited to be on? by Pastor Chuck before Chuck passed. Yes, he was part of the CCA Council, and he was invited by Chuck to be part of the CCA Council. Well, why did Brian Broderson ultimately resign from the CCA Council? I think, uh, I think that Brian um, wanted to, first of all, I think he wanted to move in different directions. I think he, the, 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 the epicenter of it is he felt like he wanted to lead the movement, you know, and the rest of us, I mean, we're old enough. I'm not going to, wasn't going to hand Calvary Chapel Philadelphia and the churches that have spun off here to Brian. I feel like I have a responsibility. So I think the, the crux was that he wanted to lead the movement and we felt that, you know, like in Acts chapter 15, that there was a council that uh, Chuck had put together a group of men that he trusted, which I think was wisdom um, to lead it for however long it will continue to move forward. So that, I think that was the epicenter of the, the division. I do want to let the audience know, and just kind of a full disclosure, that we did uh, Outlaw Radio, we extended an invitation to Brian Broderson at the beginning of the year uh, to be on the show because a lot of people have questions for him, uh, and he declined to be on. Um, and so I'm speaking with you, just trying to gain some clarity. But do you think Brian's ultimate decision to then form the Calvary Global Network, do you think that that choice, um, aside from just resigning from the council, but do you think that decision has created and fostered division within the Calvary Chapel movement? And if so, in, in what ways do you think it's it's muddied the water some? Um, yeah, I do think that it has caused some confusion. Um, I think that part of that was he had the affiliation, he had a copy of the affiliation list, which was properly uh, Calvary Chapel Outreach Fellowship, then CCA, and when he decided to go in a different direction, he emailed everybody and just said, you know, you, you can come with me. I think this, this old guard is kind of like seen its day, um, kind of like old wineskins, and I want to do something fresh. Uh, and he kind of grandfathered in a whole bunch of people that had no say or choice or and, and right there, it became divisive. And I think he made a mistake. Uh, maybe if he had it to do over, he'd do differently. He put it on social media, too, so that we actually had people in our churches asking us about it. You know, he cut the baby in half because he hadn't given birth to it. So he was willing 
he was willing to cut the baby in half. I think what should have happened, and I I have no angst against Brian. I want to see him succeed. I've known him for a long time. I think he should have come to us and said, look, guys, I, I really feel led to go in a different direction. So let's write a letter together. And let me say, if you love Chuck and his philosophy of ministry and the way Calvary's been moving, stay with these guys. They'll be true to that vision. I have a different vision. I'm going to move in a different direction. I want to do some different things. And we're giving each other the right hand of fellowship. I think we'd have all signed that letter. We've sent it to everybody and said, you know, you know, I think this is great. This is what we're going to do. This is uh, who we are. And, uh, and Brian feels led in a different direction. We've given him the right hand of fellowship. And if you want to move in that direction, he's the one to go with. That would have been a great way. Uh, to have done this, and and it would have probably avoided the the majority of the confusion. I remember getting the email myself as a Calvary pastor, and uh, there was no. It was you've been opted in. There was no. It was very difficult to opt out. Yeah. And and even then, it was it was I'm going to have to opt out, which means um, I'm going to have to pick and choose a side, which is which is much different from from offering to opt in. I know for me personally, that was. Um, just kind of a bizarre thing. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Calvary, Calvary Chapel and the, the global network, um, different direction. You know, I wrote that down from what you just said. Um, if you had to summarize the fundamental difference in Brian's vision for the Calvary Chapel movement and, um, and the CCA's vision, um, what would, what would that be? Well, I think Brian doesn't have a vision for the Calvary Chapel movement. That's the whole thing. He has a vision for a new hybrid. He has whatever his ideas are. He feels that the the vision that Chuck had for Calvary Chapel is dated. He referenced us as old wineskins. I mean, the hard thing about that letter he sent for me was he basically said, look, um, you guys have seen your day. There needs to be fresh vision um, so you can go your way, but I'm taking your offspring. Now, nobody does that with my kids and my grandkids, you know. Uh, so I, I, that, was a, that was difficult in that sense. And he doesn't have a vision for Calvary Chapel. He has a vision for some other thing, um, some hybrid. And, uh, and I think there's a difference. Look, one of the things that you have to understand we talk about, I'm not a Chuckite. I'm a Jesusite. You know, I'm not a Calvary Chapel addict. I'm a Bible addict. And Calvary Chapel and Chuck gave me a place where I could come with my convictions and be very comfortable in the skin of Calvary Chapel. But that's what it was for me. And Calvary Chapel now is a family, these men that I know and love for years. And I think we're we're committed to a historic Christianity. I think we're looking for revival. We, we know we desperately need that. We're committed to depending on the power of the Holy Spirit instead of our own abilities or new techniques. And I think that the Word of God is still central, exposition of God's Word, in fact, in, in our philosophy of ministry. So that's our vision in, in that respect reflects Chuck's philosophy of ministry. So our vision is to continue that on into a new generation. I think Brian's vision differs in that, and I'm, I haven't heard him articulate it clearly, that, but there's some new hybrid, you know, and maybe he's watching, you know, some of the other, you know, Bethel or, you know, Hillsong or Stephen Furtick or some of the, the newer things that are happening. I don't know if he's garnering ideas from those things, but I think we're moving some of the things we have in common, I'm sure, but I think... We have the vision for Calvary Chapel. He doesn't have a vision for Calvary Chapel. He has a vision for something uh, more, uh, I don't know, hybrid, more updated in his mind or something that's more current, however he would define that. The vision for Calvary Chapel, as you see it, is it is it the continuation of what Pastor Chuck's vision, his original vision was? Is that, is, is, is that where it kind of parses? No, no, not for me. For me, it's the vision of what we see in the book of Acts in the New Testament. And and Chuck, you know, like uh, Hughes Oliphant Old, who, who's written volumes from Princeton on church worship and preaching, said, you know, Chuck was a Luther of the 20th century, that he really brought the church back to expositional teaching. So our vision, hopefully, is a vision that's been in the church for 2,000 years. I mean, 
you know, you study Chrysostom and some of these guys. They were expositional teachers. Uh, Zwingli and Calvin taught expositionally through the scripture. So I, I hope that our vision is not a, you know, we're not Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, you know, addicts uh, lauding a human being. I, I think Chuck pointed us to Jesus and he pointed us to the scripture and to the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that respect, we want to maintain the, the vision of Calvary. Do you think it would have been um, it would have been better with that context established for Brian to have to have just not used the name Calvary Chapel and what he was doing? Um, you know, um, Brian uh, spoke to some of the folks, and I wasn't there at Murrieta, and just said, "Look, I I have a I want to head out in a new direction." Chuck did that. Um, and it takes courage. You have to have vision. I want to do this. But when Chuck left the Foursquare Church, he didn't call his new movement uh, Foursquare Global Network, and he didn't take the Foursquare's mailing list with him. And you know, he, Chuck really went out on his own in a new direction. And I, I think I wish Brian would have done that if he has a conviction and he believes in something. Um, and he had the Lord's leading, and I, I hope that he does. You know, he would have, it would have been a cleaner uh, break in the sense of maintaining unity in the church, uh, and I think it would have, uh, it would have gone much smoother. And I think there's right now some misunderstanding and some difficulties. I know for me, as a young pastor, I was asked why, why affiliate with Calvary Chapel, and it was my answer was simple. The name means something from a historical perspective. It's an identifier, and um, and I really appreciate you being on. I appreciate you speaking so candidly uh, to these matters. If you're listening, don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll be right back more with Pastor Joe Foch here on the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Zach is interviewing pastor and Calvary Chapel Association member Joe Foch. Joe's the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Philly, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's been an insightful first half. Please stay with us for more. Pastor Zach and Pastor Joe will be tackling some questions relating to younger pastors, what they're facing in terms of leadership and decision-making. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Now, here's Pastor Zach and Pastor Joe Foch with the second half of the Outlaw Radio Show. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm joined by Pastor Joe Foch, and we're talking about Calvary Chapel. We're talking about the movement. Um, Pastor Joe is answering some very relevant questions, and I want to dive kind of into, uh, once again, some of the nuances here, but there is a perception that most of the problems in the early years of the Calvary Chapel Association, the council, centered on personality conflicts between Brian Broderson and some of his friends and some of the other members. Is there any vol validity to that rumor, that perception? I think early on, um, everybody was doing everything they could to maintain unity. Uh, I think Brian was moving in some different directions. I think some of those directions are acceptable. There's, you know, nobody's business to say you can't do that, but they were they were different directions, you know. So um, I I think it's very hard to say, and I've heard those rumors that it's a personality um, conflict. Um, to me, again, sending out the letter on social media that's not a, a personality thing. Uh, a lot of this happened right after he had been at Wayne Taylor's church, and, and I still have copies of those, uh, the videos, the the studies. And, you know, he, he said things like for the last 10 years, Chuck was just doom and gloom, and uh, the church was going, getting depressed, and he had to come in once a month and try to pull the church back on a, on a more proper course. Uh I don't know anybody there who felt that was true uh, or that was at Costa Mesa and felt that was true. Um, he talked about, uh, kind of in a denigrating way, 
eschatology, prophecy, always talking about the return of the Lord, which I think is as important as anything that's in the Scripture right now. Um, and, and you heard him there, just the Old Testament wasn't as important. Those are the kind of things that um, that are fine if you want to believe that. You want to move with those things. God bless you. We give each other a right hand of fellowship. You believe in the atonement of Christ. You believe evangelism is important. You have a different perspective on ministry. So that's not a personality conflict, you know. That's just a different uh, a different philosophy of, of ministry. I think the teaching of the Scripture is central. I think you can't teach the Scripture if one out of ten verses in the New Testament is about the return of Christ. You, you can't avoid talking about the, the return of Christ, you know. Um, so I, I think he's, he's, he's watching um, the way young people are being reached, which is not always, you know, to me, healthy, but I think he's watching that, trying to glean from that, trying to, and and was willing to set aside some of the things that had been, um, you know, part and parcel to the DNA of Calvary for many years uh, to denigrate and set some of those things aside. So that's not a personality conflict. There was, you know, having uh, some of the gals teach in England when there's 15 senior pastors standing around the walls that could be teaching, you know, then the, the argument that goes back and forth, well, is, you know, is this, you know, egalitarianism? Is this, you know, complementarianism? All of this stuff. Right. It's just we never, we never went through those issues when Chuck was, and then somebody will say, well, he let Corey Tenboon. Yeah, he did. One time in 41 years, there was a woman there, Corey Ten Boone, and, uh, <laughs> and she could have done that here in Philly because it was her testimony. She wasn't teaching doctrine. Uh, so I've had Johnny Erickson here on Sunday nights and, and let her share, and people come from the whole area with that are in wheelchairs and, uh, you know, struggling with disabilities, and it's a great— what would you— what would you say to the the criticism that Calvary Chapel is becoming? In the uh, I wouldn't say anything to it. That criticism has been around a lot longer than CCA. You know, the church has been here for two thousand years. The gates of hell have not prevailed against it. Uh, Calvary Chapel is, you know, I'm in the middle of it. It's not a denomination. We don't want it ever to be a denomination. I mean, you know, when when a pastor falls in a in a Calvary Chapel and they say to CCA, "Hey, will you guys come in?" and we say no. That's a local church's responsibility. We're, we're not a denomination. Our, our place to come in and ride herd on how, you know, you, you make this pastor step down and, and uh, change things, that's uh, under the leadership of people in a local congregation. So on our end, we are very much, you know, uh, mindful of the fact that we're not a denomination, don't want to be one. But even when Chuck was alive, that was something we heard for years, Calvary Chapel's becoming a denomination. So... Can a can a Calvary Chapel be a part of the CCA and the Calvary Global Network? Do you have to pick between one um, or the other? I think that probably um, would be up to the pastor. And uh, can he be part of both um, in his conviction with the Holy Spirit? Can he... You know, in his own heart, say these things are fine with me, and if he can be fine with some of those things we just talked about, and um, and you know, so it's yeah, left, we, it's look, left up look, to the individual you know, pastor. Unity is 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 the product of the Holy Spirit, and uh, he, you know, six things I hate, a seven are an abomination. Somebody who sows discord between brethren, so. It, it isn't our heart to tell anybody you have to choose, but it is our heart to say this is who we are and this is who Global Network is. And and I think it, uh, that's a good thing to me. People need to think instead of just riding along, you know? Well, that leads to the next question then. What would you say to a Calvary Chapel pastor who also wants to identify with another movement, such as like Hillsong or Acts 29 or Bethel or one of well, those other movements? Kind of that... That's not a complicated question to me. I would first ask, um, you know, how do the Southern Baptists feel if you want to join them and you're a Pentecostal? You know, how does, uh, you know, the Gospel Coalition uh, feel if you are dispensational and want to join them? How does, you know, look, 
the, through church history, there's been congregational forms of government, Episcopal forms of government, Presbyterian forms of government. Uh, there, there's been different shades and and um, modes of uh, ministry, philosophy of ministry of the church. So um, Calvary Chapel, I think, and Chuck always said, you know, if you go to McDonald's, every McDonald's across the country has got the same menu. You don't have to wonder what you're going to get. Um, Calvary chapels should be, I think, that's the affiliation process. I think they should be consistent with certain uh, doctrinal positions and uh, philosophies of ministry. So I think I think there's a look. You, you don't you're not so strict. You don't want to do this with a beam in your eye and try to make the splinter out of somebody else's eye. On the other hand, you know you don't want it to be so confusing because there's no clarity either. Let me transition a little bit to some other topics uh, along this this thread of conversation. But at this point, most of the CCA sponsored conferences have yet to feature a speaker under the age of fifty. What would you say to second and third generation of Calvary Chapel pastors who don't believe the CCA Council is interested in their voice or their perspective? Um, uh, let me answer this question and make sure people are listening uh, to my answer. Um, you said um, at this point most of the CCA-sponsored conferences have yet to feature a speaker under the age of 50. Now, I'm assuming you're meaning that's besides Garrett Beeler, Ryan Reese, Daniel Fusco, Nate Holdridge, Mike Foch, Nate Gallagher, John Randall, uh, Wade O'Neill, Eric Sanuza, Pete Nelson. I mean, I could, you know, so first of all, that's not true. Uh, across the country, there have been more and more guys uh, in their 30s, you know, 40s, speaking under 50. So that's that's going on now more than it ever has before. The other part of the question, what would I say to second and third generation Calvary pastors who don't believe that the CCA Council is interested in their voice or their perspective, there's, a, there's two sides to that. Now, one is, I'm always wary of young guys who are bugged that they're not getting to speak, you know, <sighs> okay? So <laughs> right, yeah, right. I think the yes, onus absolutely. in that question falls on the older guys the, the question should be is, are you guys looking for the younger men that are faithful? Because Paul says, as he writes to Timothy, to, to hand the word of God onto faithful men that then will be able to hand it on to others also. So we are very concerned about that. We never meet as a council without talking about how, okay, how do we in the future, as we're moving forward, start to incorporate younger men and other men into the CCA Council. We're very committed to that. So uh, on our end, we know that's necessary. And you're looking for young guys that are faithful, uh, that their their character, their moral character is strong and it's good, their families, their homes, their doctrine, and uh, and they're out there. And uh, we're, we're watching that. But it isn't on the onus of the young guys to, to say, you know, or first of all, to be critical, there's critical seems to be in a lot of these questions, that they shouldn't be walking around saying, I think, you know, I should be up there speaking. That, that probably wouldn't be a guy we'd invite to speak. That's a wonderful answer. A wonderful answer. What would you say, and I'm going to use the word again. No, no, no. Um, and I'm just trying to- I'm having to, fun. Let's to, say it. <laughs> <laughs> the criticism and once again I, i'm asking questions to try to just provide some some clarity from your answers because you know a q a at a conference yes. is so limited uh this you know radio this gives us a great medium to to kind of go on the record and, and talk about some of these things that you know percolate out there but you know th there has been and i've heard this kind of from brian and some of that camp that calvary chapel as a movement um, has just become largely resistant to new types of methodologies. I'm not saying that I believe that at all, but what would you say to someone that, that has that has been thinking that or has bought that well, lie? Well, I, what I think is people who say that are people who think methodologies build the church. I think they're asking a genuine question. They're just wrong. You know, the church is here and... and uh, because there has been Pentecost after Pentecost after Pentecost for 2,000 years. If it wasn't for that, the church would not be here. Martin Lloyd-Jones, at the end of his 
career started to talk about revival. Some of his contemporaries shunned him because of that, but he started to say, if there's not another Pentecost, the church is done. So it isn't methodology. What happens, and this is probably a whole other conversation, but to me, between revivals, when you get between revivals, that's when um, you start to have rock stars in the church because during a revival, Jesus gets all the glory. You know, uh, between revivals, that's when the, the 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 women start to get in the pulpit because during revival, it's it's patriarchal. Um, you know, between revivals, worship becomes something. You know, you, you read some of the revivals. Sometimes it was not even a guitar; just the whole congregation worshiping and singing for hours with their hands raised. Um, I think that during revivals, there was racial reconciliation. You read about the Azusa Street revivals, how remarkable between rivals, there's racial tension. I think during revivals, uh, bars closed down and uh, taverns closed down, not because anybody preached against alcohol, but because the conviction of the Holy Spirit in power during revival, He's the Holy Spirit. He's not the culturally relevant spirit or the cool spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. And then during revivals, alcohol and language, which we start to hear in the pulpit between revivals, uh, both of those were relegated, you, again, so that the mines in, in England suffered because the, the mule drivers weren't cursing at the mules anymore, and the mules didn't understand what they were saying without the cussing. Uh, so I, I think— right methodologies come when you're trying to figure out, you know, how do we do this? How do we do this? And and we can't. It, we, it, we do it on our knees. We beg for revival. Look, I think uh, we have an app. I think technology is wonderful. I think we should use the means that we have. But I don't think that's the same as methods. To me, methods, and people will say this, well, you have to be culturally relevant. You know, the missionaries in China, their culture, well, they are. They're relative to a culture that's 4,000 years old. What we're talking about in America is being trend relevant, not culturally relevant. And when you're trend relevant, you run out of gas in five or six years anyway. That's because they, they blow in and they blow out the trends. You you introduced you introduced a... a an idea I want to I want to build upon. Uh, Pastor Chuck undoubtedly was outspoken about the dangers of alcohol, drunkenness, uh, but he never specifically mentioned pastoral abstinence as a distinctive. And more recently, you've had several of the CCA council members publicly condemn drinking at national conferences. Can a pastor drink in moderation and still remain part of yeah. the Calvary Chapel? Look, I think movement? back up and look at your question. Pastor Chuck was outspoken about the, not the benefits of alcohol. He was outspoken about the dangers of the alcohol. Dangers. You look what opiates are doing in our country right now to teenagers. Multiply that by 10 if you want to understand what alcohol is doing. You know, So he never specifically mentioned pastoral absence as a distinctive because when the distinctives were written, you know, the church was coming out of a period of revival. I was part of that revival. When I got saved, that's when I stopped drinking. I didn't get saved and think, gee, I can exercise my spiritual liberty now to prove that I understand grace and theologically I'm sound. You know, when I got saved, that's when I stopped taking drugs. That's not when I thought, gee, they're legalizing social marijuana. Can I do that? You know, so when Chuck wrote those things, he had a whole generation coming out of alcohol and drugs. So it wasn't even a question. People were getting delivered from those things. Now, of course, we're between revivals. And the, and the question is, can a pastor most, you know, and then there's lots of them that would say yes. Uh, have a drink. We'll all agree drunkenness is wrong. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, can a pastor in the in the privacy of his home? Now, look, you have to, you know, couch this in some other terms where he's not stumbling anyone. Um, can he have a a uh, a drink there? And yeah, I don't think abstinence is the basis of our unity. It's not the unpardonable sin. Um, I, I think for me personally, you look at the culture, you look at the damage that's done, and if there's something that I can't do in the open that I can only do secretly in my house, I don't need to do it at all. 
you know, I certainly don't want to do it publicly because we've got enough. We we got 250 people out every Monday night at our addictions meeting. And if you could ask any one of them, is alcohol cool for Christians? They'll laugh in your face. Listen, and you and I have had private conversations about this particular topic. Um, But for clarity, if, if there is a difference of opinion about pastors and the topic of alcohol, is there room in, within Calvary Chapel for a different approach than than the one that you you hold or that the one that Pastor Chuck espoused? Um, I would say this. Look, Zach, I, you know, when I teach the congregation, I have to say to them that I can't find a place in Scripture for me to tell you that you're in sin if you have a glass of wine, you know, at dinner time with your wife in the privacy of your home. I'll go over the fact that drunkenness is sin. They shouldn't stumble someone else. But when I speak at a pastor's conference and and I see a, a good portion of the church and sometimes other parts of the world, I am convinced that the church right now, the world right now, is not in need of a few young pastors that are drinking. The church, the, the world's in need of some young pastors that are filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, so, so my exhortation, if the if the Holy Spirit's exhortation during revival is to step away from alcohol, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit and encourage people to drink? So, do people have that liberty? Yes. Um, am I going to cause dissension or break away from loving my brother because he has the liberty to have a glass of wine in his home? No, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't think that's biblical. Am I going to encourage young men to what I believe is the, is God's best for their lives? I, I will do that t- till my last breath. I think that's a fantastic answer. Well, listen, we're, we're running close. We're almost out of time. Um, but I want to ask just in a broad sense, wh- where do you see the Calvary Chapel movement in the next five years? Five years, uh, and, and it's not just the Calvary movement, the church, I would say, either in revival, in heaven, or in prison. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a great answer. That, was, that caught me off guard. That was not what I, not what I expected at all. Um, but are you are you excited about where the Lord's leading our movement? Oh, very much, yes, very very much. Uh, you know, the, you know the men that I meet with. Uh, we have more unity, more vision now. It's just wonderful when we get together. We get together to seek the Lord, lay it before Him. Uh, you know, I, I I say that kind of joking because the Archbishop of Chicago, I believe, said the man that follows me will end his ministry if we stay on our present trajectory in prison, and the man that follows him will end his ministry as a martyr. This was a Catholic priest that said this. You know, looking at the world we're in, so I'm praying for a revival. If there's not going to be a revival, then I want the rapture to happen. What's the use of staying here? Um, <laughs> you know. And if we do, we under under a different direction in in government, we could end up, um, you know, criminally prosecuted. We'll see. Pastor Joe, thank you so much for being on the show. Zach, I love you. It's great to spend some time with you guys. Absolutely. God bless. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show, and specifically my conversation with Pastor Joe Foch about Calvary Chapel. I am so very thankful. Pastor Joe agreed to be with us today. To learn more about Pastor Joe's ministry, I encourage you to check out uh, the church website, which is ccphilly.org. Once again, that's ccphilly.org. If you missed any part of today's episode, let me encourage you to visit our website, which is outlawradio.org. From the site, you can easily stream, download, and share any of our shows from our podcast available on both iTunes and Google Play. Additionally, let me once again encourage you to connect with me on Twitter. Our handle is at radio underscore outlaw. You can send me an email at info at outlawradio.org, or you can follow us via facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. If you like what you heard today, please contact your local station and tell them you're thankful they're carrying Outlaw Radio in your community. Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. If, like us, you identify yourself as being part of the Calvary Chapel movement, 
It's our prayer that today's episode with Pastor Joe Fost helped clear up some of the confusion about what's been taking place over the last few years. We're thankful Pastor Joe made himself available to answer the many questions we've all been asking. If anything was said during this interview that you'd like further clarification concerning, we're excited to announce that Pastor Joe has already agreed to do a follow-up interview. To send in any of your comments or questions, please email us at info at outlawradio.org. Once again, that's info at outlawradio.org. As we wrap things up, we would ask that you take the time to share this episode with those you know within the Calvary Chapel movement. The easiest way to do this is by visiting outlawradio.org. From the site, you can access the podcast located in the top right corner. From iTunes or Google Play, it's super easy to share this episode on your Facebook page or Twitter feed. Once again, the website is outlawradio.org. My name is Josh Brown, and this has been a production of His Productions. And it's been a privilege to have you with us today. Be sure to join us this time next week for another edition of the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.